Welcome to POP, the sermon podcast for Peace Lutheran Church in Gehenna, with Pastors Doug Warburton and Tony Katko. So, in the late 1800s, a man moved from Sweden to America and set up a company known as Swanson's Food Company. Did very well in the course of his life. The Swansons became one of the top uh, food processing and distribution companies in the United States, and they were one of the first to master the art of flash freezing food. So it could be stored for longer. That was a pretty new thing around that time. And company did very well, but it wasn't until the 1950s that they became a company that you could rattle off the top of your head from memory. It was in the 19, actually 1952, that they made a major mistake. They purchased way more turkeys for Thanksgiving than they were able to sell. So after Thanksgiving, they ended up with 250 tons of turkey that hadn't sold. And so they tried to put their minds together, figure out how do we not lose everything in this So what they did is while they were processing this, they put these turkeys, because they didn't have enough freezer systems in their warehouses, they put these turkeys in their train uh, freezer cars and had the train go from Nebraska to the East Coast and back several times while they tried to figure this out. So picture hundreds of freezer cars going back and forth throughout the country as they tried to figure it out. Now what happened is it was a sales rep probably who felt heat from having not sold enough turkeys, came up with an idea. He happened to have been on a Pan Am flight, and he was served his meal on this little tray with three compartments. Everything separated into three compartments. He hadn't seen a tray like this before, so he brought it to the big wigs at the company and proposed, what if we take the turkey and we put it with some... uh, Cranberries, or no, not cranberries, uh, baked, not baked potatoes, sweet potatoes, sweet potatoes, and green beans, and we freeze it, and we call it TV dinners. And the marketing department loved it. They put a little box on top to cover it with knobs and forms of a uh, form of a TV screen. And they, they decided this is how we're going to use up the turkey. Now, they, they were a little pessimistic in terms of sales. So they ordered 5,000 of these trays. Guess how many they sold that year? 10 million. 10 million were sold in 1952 and 3. <laughs> so think of that. It was a mistake of overordering that led to one of the most famous grocery store items ever. All because of a mistake. So as we go through this sermon series, we're focusing on these mistakes and how often it is that God can lead us through these mistakes to something that wouldn't have been discovered otherwise. Last week, Pastor Tony talked about that Bible passage that Paul wrote to the Romans. He says, all things work together for good. Pastor Tony did a great job last week of kind of explaining that we have to be careful with that verse. 
all things work together for good means we could take any situation and say, oh, don't worry, God's going to do something good with this. That's dangerous when, as Pastor Tony talked about, when we're talking to someone who's just been through a crisis or is in the midst of a crisis. All things work together for good, as Pastor Tony talked about, is more of a promise from God that no matter what you're going through, good or bad, I will be present with you. And so we kind of fleshed that out a little bit last week. But the word, or the words, work together, is a Greek word. And it occurred to me, I haven't shared a Greek word with you in a long time. So here it is. You ready? Thank you. Back here? Okay. Synergo. You're good. Synergo. It breaks up into two words, sin and ergo. So sin is that word together, synchrony, synchronous. Yeah. Synchronicity by the police. Um, And then the ergo, it means work. It's work together, ergonomics, the study of work. So those two words come together. And if you think about that, it's what Paul is saying. We work together. God promises to work with us in the betterment of the world. And and don't get me wrong, because this would be anti-Lutheran. It doesn't mean we work together with God to earn God's favor. We work together with God. God promises to work with us so that we can make the world a better place. And, and so it's this promise that God promises, no matter what, I will be with you. And so even just a little bit later in the book of Romans, Paul says that great passage, what can separate you from the love of God? And it goes on and basically boils down to nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So today's passage comes from the book of Matthew, and Jesus, kind of continuing with what we're saying about Paul, Jesus says these words to us, ask, and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if child asks for bread, you will give a stone? Or if a child asks for a fish, will you give a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So I think most of us in this room or watching online would agree that this passage is difficult sometimes because we think Jesus is saying, whatever you ask for, I'll give it to you. Go ahead, ask. Ask away. And I think we've all seen that not everything we ask for is given to us. And so what Jesus is actually saying here is much along the same lines as what Paul was saying last week. Whenever you ask, whatever it is you ask for, whatever it is you find yourself in the midst of and you're searching for, know this. God promises to walk with you. You're a partner. It's a partner with us. We partner with God. It it is this working relationship that we have with each other. So God promises that no matter what. So I was thinking about this this week, and I thought, thought, it reminds me a little bit of a golf caddy. 
golf caddy promises to be with you through the good, through the bad. <laughs> I played golf for the first time a couple weeks ago, took out an insurance policy on everyone else on the course. <laughs> but I was reminded as I was thinking of this image of God as a caddy, I was thinking a friend of mine once got the opportunity to play the Muirfield. And if you've ever played the Muirfield, you know a caddy is required. And it's not like a kid in high school. It's trained caddies. And they actually tell you what to do, what to play, how to play it along the way. And so my friend was playing. He's not the most gifted of golfers, but he had this opportunity, couldn't pass it up. And about the fourth or fifth hole, he turns to his caddy as he's eyeing the hole. And he says, what do you think, three wood or four wood? And the caddy says, older gentleman, a little bit of Scottish in him, says, well, from what I've seen so far, it doesn't matter. <laughs> That's not the image of the God I'm lifting up. This image is a God who says, I will be with you through it all, the good shots and the bad. I will continue to walk beside you. So if we have a God that promises this, it should lead us to being a little bolder in how we take our steps forward and not being afraid of being a little imperfect along the way. Because it's in our imperfections that things happen, that we make discoveries, and that we grow. In the book of Proverbs, there's this great proverb that says, an empty stable is clean, but there's no profit in an empty stable. <laughs> an empty stable is clean, but there's no profit in an empty stable. In order for us to, make, make, to go somewhere, to make some sort of income, we have to have a stable filled with stuff. When I first got out of seminary, I've shared this story before, but it's, it's always been so important to me. When I was asked to be a mission developer, which is a, a, a pretty cool thing when you're a seminarian to be asked to be, to start a brand new church. But there's a requirement in our church, the ELCA, that in order to be approved to be a mission developer, you have to pass what they call the mission developer test. And it's a pretty extensive test, and the entire thing is to prove that you can move forward in spite of failing. So I kept telling them, trust me, I'm a graduate of Ohio University. I know how to fail and move forward. I'm good at, I know failing. And somehow, but, but along the way, they wanted to make sure, because when you're trying brand new things, starting a brand new thing, you're going to make mistakes and missteps. Are you able to continue to strive forward in spite of that? Because that's where the growth takes place. I've always tried to remember that. One of my favorite memories when Camp Moana was still around, some of you know Camp Moana, the old church camp in Mansfield that's sold. It's now a uh, uh, county park, so I'm glad that they at least kept the land. But I used to be on the advisory board when it was a church camp. And I loved the opportunity we got to build what we called the uh, Fleming Falls Retreat Center. And it was going to be their fanciest building, a little bit uh, fancier for retreat groups and things like that. But it was also going to house a lot of kids' activities, of course. 
And it was a lot of work making sure this building was, uh, we could raise the funding and construct it. And finally, it was complete after years of work getting to this point. And my favorite memory is the plaque that we put on at the end. And the plaque, I won't get it exactly right, but it said something along the lines of, may we never care that these beautiful white walls are covered with fingerprints. I love that. May we not get so upset about these gorgeous things that we've worked to create that we miss the fingerprints and the smudges of kids that are there because we want them to be there. I think my greatest spiritual growth, and I know I'm still a work in progress, but my greatest spiritual growth hasn't happened from perfect steps. It's happened when I tripped. It's happened when I tripped. Now, I think an important point also is that we continue to work with our partner, God, along the way through the gift of the Holy Spirit. We continue to be in prayer, asking and searching and knocking as part of this partnership. And you look at Jesus. Did you know Jesus had some unanswered prayers? Think of that time when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he stood there in the anxiety of all that was about to unfold. He knew what was coming. And it even says that he sweated blood because he was so filled with anxiety. Do you remember what he prayed? He prayed, Father, take this cup away from me. Crickets. No answer. The night unfolded. We know where it went, and Jesus, though, even though that prayer obviously wasn't answered, continues to pray. And on the cross, he cries out, Father, why have you forsaken me? Crying out this prayer of agony, wondering where God is. And then finally, he doesn't give up, even though he knows this isn't going anywhere else. He prays this prayer, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So all along the way, even though he wasn't getting the the answer to the prayer he was praying, he continues to pray. And as we all know, there was a little bit of a surprise at the end of the story. Jesus didn't get his prayer answered, but it definitely went somewhere. Gregory Boyle is one of my favorite authors. He's the founder of Homeboys Industries in L.A. He works with gang members. And if you haven't checked out any of his books, I highly recommend them. They're just filled with stories of his uh, ministry with gang members and his unconditional love for them. He's a Catholic priest. And in one of his books, he tells the story of his first year in ministry, he was sent to Bolivia for a year. And he was there, and, and at one point, the Quechua Indians, a Indian tribe on top of the mountains in Bolivia asked for him to come up. They hadn't seen a priest. This is a group of Catholic Indians. They hadn't seen a priest in 10 years. And if you know anything about Catholicism, that's a big deal because a priest is required to celebrate Mass and to have communion. And so they they asked for Father Boyle to come up, brand new priest. He said, at this point, I am still tied to the missal or to the hymn book. For, for the words of what to say in communion. And they, they not only is his Spanish limited, they speak Quechuan. And so there, there's a little bit of Spanish in there. He'll get by with the Spanish, but he won't even try that language. And he's tied, even in English, to his missile. And so he, 
He knew how important it was to take that, and yet he's halfway up the mountain, and he realized he'd forgotten it. And so he, he writes that he discovered that nervous sweat, finding himself soaked, wondering, how in the world am I going to get through a mass? So he did have a Spanish Bible, so he looked up anything in the Bible that, he, that had anything to do with food. And the Quechuan Indians gathered, and now this, it's important to say that this tribe of Indians was known for their flower harvesting. You would see some of the, the Indians going up and down the mountain with bags full of flowers, and they would sell them in the markets. And so he's there in front of hundreds of these Indians. He, he tries to give the mass. He says it is the biggest disaster of a mass ever known to the Catholic Church. He couldn't have done anything any worse. And yet they listened and tried to respond and mumbled through it. And somehow it was over. He felt horrible. He was convinced he was the worst priest ever known to mankind. And then this guy comes up with a woman who didn't speak any Spanish. She only spoke Quechuan. And she wanted to do a confession. So he listened to her confession for about an hour, nodding and trying to offer words of uh, forgiveness. And after that, she went away and he looks out in the field and nobody was there. He was all by himself. And so he realized he had a long, humbling walk back down the mountain to where he was staying. But suddenly out of nowhere appears this older gentleman, like very wrinkled from the sun, probably younger than he actually looked. And he's standing there and he's got these brown, ripped up pants with a rope for a belt and a, a torn up cotton shirt and a large sombrero-ish kind of hat. And he comes up to, uh, to Gregory Boyle and he asks him to bend over. And then he reaches into his pockets and he pulls out rose petals and showers them over Gregory Boyle's head as he says, Padre, <laughs> a term of love. And these rose petals just trinkled to the ground. And then, as Gregory Boyle says, his tears quickly covered them. It's a beautiful image of a God that walks with us even in our missteps. A God who is immune to words like disappointment and disapproval. A God who even in our missteps, even when we make these mistakes, promises to be with us and says, I don't understand these words when you say I don't measure up because I'm a God who simply wants to pull you aside and shower your head with rose petals. <laughs>